<sighs> Welcome back to Ravens Recap. Unfortunately, we are here to discuss what was an exciting game, albeit sloppy, where unfortunately the Ravens were not able to overcome the Pittsburgh Steelers. But before we get into it, I think we all just got to take a deep breath as a fan base and just realize, you know, it sucks to lose to Pittsburgh. It always sucks. Like, this is, whenever you lose to Pittsburgh, it's like losing to Kansas City times 10. It's awful. The Ravens are now three games behind Pittsburgh because two more losses as well as the tiebreaker. But you know what? This team is still 5-2. and two. Pittsburgh's a very good team. There's no shame in losing to them. And the Ravens have plenty of time to get back on track. Just got to get that out of there right in, you know, out, you know, out in front because, you know, our fan base, you know, we're passionate. We kind of, you know, sometimes go off the deep end a bit when, you know, the team loses a game that we're not happy about. But that's it. Just had to start out saying that I'm going to get off my soup box as I labeled it in the document and <laughs> was uh, called out on the typo. But uh, yeah, that's my initial take, you know, right out the gate of this game. I guess let's get into it. You know, I think we got a lot to talk about. There were definitely some positives from that game, uh, some negatives as well. Obviously, the negatives are going to be going to outshine the positives when it's a loss. But yeah, what are you guys' initial takeaways? Yeah, I mean, uh, when we went through the score predictions last week, I mean, you guys know I I started off saying, like, I wasn't sure if the Ravens could pull it out. you know, going into it, it was definitely a game I did not feel very good about. And so from that perspective, like, I don't want to say that I expected this because honestly, you know, in, in a lot of ways, the Ravens definitely beat themselves up in this game, for sure. They looked like, for most of the game, they looked like the better team. They they couldn't get it out of their own way. They made mistakes. They were sloppy, as you said, and, you know, unfortunately, just couldn't do enough at the end of the day to be able to pull out the win. I'm with you, Peter. Losses suck, especially losses to Pittsburgh. So I don't feel great about it. But, you know, got to be like the team and just suck it up, deal with it, and then move on. <laughs> you know, there's hopefully hopefully there's going to be next week. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess, let me ask you, Chris, when you said that you're not surprised, like you kind of thought this could happen, like what what outcomes of the game didn't surprise you uh i mean like i could definitely i I saw a scenario which like pittsburgh could win like it could have been like you know the ravens offense just couldn't put together enough plays uh, enough scoring drives maybe the defense couldn't uh force enough enough takeaways for the offense to be able to score Uh and then maybe you know pittsburgh would you know be uh have a little bit more consistency on offense and and obviously their defense is you know just full of monsters right i mean it's you know their their defense is coming to play they're you know the number one defense in the league right now for a reason so i mean yeah there were plenty of scenarios which you know i I could have seen the ravens lost but you know the one that we got on sunday was like not what i expected okay yeah i I figured the word consistency would come out and that's honestly been the problem with these ravens all year is consistency because there's plenty of times when you watch them particularly even on sunday and you're like this team is unstoppable they can do whatever they want on defense. They can do whatever they want on offense. They're getting three and outs almost at will. They seem to be flustering people. And then they can just run right down the field. Emphasis on run. And, um, you know, like, that uh, is awesome. And then they start shooting themselves in the foot at the goal line, at the beginning of a drive, you know, wherever it is that they may do it. Some of it's bad execution. Some of it feels like bad play calling. And I think the thing that's super frustrating from a fan base is how this team can look like the world beaters from last year on one drive and then just not the next drive. They look like two totally different teams. There's almost no cohesion. There's no middle ground to their excellence. It's like every drive, you don't know what you're about to get. Does that seem fair? Like, is, is that kind of where we're at? Is like, it's by, drive by drive almost. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're completely saying a lot of things that are that are issues right now. I think at the same time, we have to temper expectations a bit too, because when you're talking about how the team was last year, 
there were some games last year where I mean I'm thinking especially like against the Texans and the and the Rams and Sam Cook was going games without seeing the field yeah. like <laughs> you know with so long you know the Ravens teams of the past have had inconsistent offenses at, at best we you kind of think of like teams with the actual offenses that are you know pushing top five in the league year after year you think oh that's that's a normal thing an offense does all the time that's not the case I mean it's like it's an, it was an unsustainable pace to expect that every week but I think at the same time while we won't expect that dominance against every team and certainly we weren't going to expect that against a a, a Pittsburgh team that I do still think is is not seven and zero good, but they are still definitely at least five and two, six and one good. The time for excuses is running out, and I think I've been a, a little more uh, lenient and haven't been as uh, critical of, of some of the Ravens' miscues and this lack of consistency, as Alex said on offense, because I'm like, oh, you know. We had the weird off season, not really a preseason. You know, they're still trying to figure things out, but we're getting very close to the time where those excuses are done. We're mid-season, playing the eighth game of the season, coming this weekend. We think we'll get to that later. Yeah, this, this team needs to. If this team wants to get another shot at the Super Bowl, consistency—that's the biggest thing they got to attack. For sure, and I think the the biggest difference between the team this year and you know offenses of the of the Ravens past is that I think a lot of us now and I'm sure the coaching staff would agree I'm sure Eric DaCosta would agree right the the difference is the talent level on this roster particularly on offense I mean you know let's face it from like a a, a per season perspective you, I mean you stack up the the greatest season from Joe Flacco and I'm like one of the biggest Joe Flacco truthers out there like you stack it up against Lamar's 2019 MVP season doesn't come anywhere close right you look at the offensive line that's probably one of the best that we've had in a while albeit missing Marshianda is you know definitely a hit you look at the receivers you have you look at the running backs we have you look at the tight end group we have it's it's a very 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 strong offensive roster and so yeah I mean given all that talent and and given all the potential I mean I think the the pressure is on for Greg Roman and uh, the offensive coaching staff to really just like got to make the most of this talent and and be able to play up to you know what I think most of us would would say is a pretty high uh, pretty high level and so you know for for the years that you know we were putting out some scrubs at receiver (laughs) And a tight end, like, you know, would you realistically want them to score like, you know, 30 points or more a game? Like, no, you just don't have the talent for it, right? It doesn't, you know, you, you would have to be like a complete wizard of, of a coaching staff to be able to get these scrubs to be able to put up 30 points consistently every week. But with what we have now, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I could see a game or two scoring less than that or, you know, or not firing in all cylinders. But for the most part, like, you got to go out there and be performing to some of the best offenses in the league and just go from like, you know, where we were last week and from this week and just like having so many different issues and there's just not one place you can identify that's just one thing to solve. It's it's a lot of things. And yeah, I hear you, Chris. And I'm going to just I'm going to say my statement now. I was going to wait a little bit longer, but I think it it makes a lot of sense with what you just said. I haven't had a chance to read, you know, Reddit and see some of the discourse that's going on. I understand that apparently Greg Roman's head is being asked for because that's what we do as a fan base. Apparently we, I, I feel like there's like no chill in this fan base, but that's fine. We're passionate. Like Peter said, um, <laughs> yeah. but I'll, I'll say this, you know, as the editor of the show and at, anyone who knows me in real life knows I curse like a sailor, but for the show, I try not to because I just more work for me. Right. And uh, <laughs> cause I try to keep it fa- family friendly, but the thing that this team is driving me nuts and I think this is actually the deep-seated, and I'm like I'm saying, I didn't read anyone else's thing, so I don't know if this is what people are saying. But I think the thing that's super frustrating about this team is the reason they were so successful last year is that they knew who they were, they knew their personnel, and they ran plays, and they ran designs that fit them. We were different, we ran a different kind of offense, and we embraced being different. And the NFL was put on notice. And it feels like half the time... And that's why I was saying like half the like drives, half the time they like fall into this like amnesia state and they f- think that they can just be a normal offense and like do normal concepts and not, you know, motion Lamar, run the damn ball. And I'm like, what the hell are you guys doing? And, I, and, and the thing that I think I finally came to the conclusion of is, is space. 
they're running these stupid plays where everyone is within like a couple yards of one another. Because I was calling for it all game. I'm like, Hollywood has a mismatch against this corner. All the fancy DFS guys were saying, like, this corner struggles deep passing routes. And I'm like, why have they not attacked that? We have this guy who then got salty on Twitter, right? We had this guy who's electric. And they're not doing this. They're not giving us space. It was driving me mad, right? Like, <laughs> you have these, these weapons. You're not using them properly. And then when you do, everything's working great. And then you're like... Well, that was cool. I guess we should <laughs> move away from it now. You know, we can't we can't do that too much. They haven't stopped us yet, but you know, I think if we keep trying, they will figure it out. Like I'm like, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> That's the thing that like got me so upset watching the game is like they do they just they seem to like make brain deaded decisions sometimes. And I'm not talking about individual players and execution. I'm just talking about like overall scheme and game plan. And I don't know what's going on there. I'm not calling for Roman's head. I think he's very smart. I just like don't understand some of these decisions they've been making this year. And it's getting to the point now where I understand why people are getting frustrated. I like to th- I always like to remind people like I just watched the game on a couch. I do not spend my whole life like dedicated to this craft. So I'm not trying to act like I'm smarter and I want to like keep open-minded that there's other reasons, but I'm starting to run out of like understanding what those might be. Yeah. I mean, wow. It's a lot to unpack there, but uh yeah, I I just I think you're hitting on a lot of great things there. I guess it's a great transition to talking about individual performance and like what kind of worked from a game standpoint and what didn't. But one of the big things you talked about right there uh, is Hollywood Brown and just the fact that he was only targeted twice. And really, I think he would have only been targeted once in this game had Lamar put a little less sauce on that that first corner touchdown because they just went right back to him on the next play when that challenge for that touchdown was upheld as Brown being out of bounds. But for me, that was the biggest surprise of that game. I mean, it wasn't just fantasy analysts. A lot of people were talking about how Pittsburgh, they have a really good defense, but where they struggle really a lot is in defending the deep ball and deep crossing patterns. A.J. Brown burned them really bad the previous week. Other guys have had success against them. Like, you know, Darius Slayton for the Giants. The Giants don't have much success this year in the passing game. Darius Slayton had a great game in week one. It was just so... I I still don't understand why they only went to Hollywood Brown one time. And I don't I don't know if that was the difference in the game, but it would have certainly seemed like they used a first-round pick on this guy for a reason, right? And you want to use your, your best players in divisional games especially against pittsburgh right well would think that's that seems that seems logical peter continue <laughs> <laughs> oh man i can go on man uh, you but... should. <laughs> i mean i think we there's, there's gonna be a little bit of catharsis in this episode I, I, and i think there's a lot of good things i did and honestly like i i wanted to put this as a twitter poll and i didn't but i've been saying it all year what do you want guys do you want to go and lose in the playoffs or when you want to find out every single way you can lose during the season and then hopefully correct it. Like, we're going to make the playoffs unless we completely implode and then we don't deserve it. Like, the way that the structure of the playoffs is, looking at our schedule, etc., we should get in. And then everything, anything can happen. And I really don't care what happens in, during the season as long as we get in. I just want less injuries. <laughs> I, we'll talk about it. But we're getting killed by injuries, guys. And I think that actually might be dictating why we're seeing some of these schemes and why we're not like getting what we expect. Maybe the coaches don't think it's possible to run what we want to run, given the personnel and how they're getting injured. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly the uh, uh, on that note, I mean, the O-line had a heck of a challenge uh, to be able to go up against Pittsburgh front seven. You know, Lamar was under duress for much of the game. It took a lot of big hits. I think there was some of that just... You know, it's it's hard to dial up a, a five seven step drop and and have Lamar sit there for a couple seconds waiting for Hollywood to get open. But on the other hand, like you know, you could try to move the pocket a little bit. You know, get Lamar out, stretch him out, try and uh, you know get a tight end over there blocking for Lamar out on like one of the flats or something and have him throw on the run that way. But uh, yeah, it was it was a little surprising. I can't say like initially my reaction is that I, I can't say that I'm not as upset about not targeting Hollywood so much because there were a couple things that I saw in particular the first half that were actually kind of good. Um, It seemed like Boykin was getting more involved, which was definitely a good thing. I mean, we've kind of been ragging on him for a a few weeks now of just like, hey, this guy, like, 
you know, you've been so good in preseason. Like, where have you been? Like, come on, show up. We need you to show up in games. I think part of that is, is just him not being on the right page with Lamar and the other ones of like Lamar not seeing him or, you know, maybe he's not one of his reads. But he had a couple of good catches and was uh, involved in the first touchdown of the game. And so that was really, really good to see. We also saw Duvernay get more involved as well. So he had a couple of targets thrown his way. So, um, and also Snead. Snead also had a couple more targets. We usually, he's, you know, only good for one or two targets a game. He actually had a couple of catches and was able to get some good yak as well. So, like, overall, like, I I can't say it was, like, that bad. Yeah, you do bring up a good point with Snead, and I think we do have to highlight that game with Snead, which was um, which was interesting because he's, he's certainly not, even in, in 2018, when John Brown and um, the other guy were here. Uh <laughs> I he, he's never about. been. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> listeners will as well. But you know, Willie Willie Sneed has never been a feature guy in this offense. He's just asked to be, you know, the the guy who gets the targets when everything else breaks down, and he's embraced that pretty well as a team player. And he got his first 100 yard receiving game as a Raven on Sunday. Apparently, his first 100 yard game since 2016. I'm pretty sure I saw uh, that was with obviously the New Orleans Saints. Wow, but. When he was open, he was open. Like it was quite clear that the that Pittsburgh was daring the Ravens to to throw the ball to Snead as they covered Andrews and Brown, and he even had a shot at the end there for to catch the game winning touchdown. Which I know there's some talk that maybe there should have been a flag there, but I think you still got to look at Willie Snead and say you know when things weren't working with with other weapons. He stepped up and played, and absolutely, you bring up a great point with Boykin. We were saying that Boykin was put on notice when the Ravens picked up Bryant. Ravens didn't go back to him after the first quarter, but that was actually one of the—it uh, was an excellent throw. You know, it wasn't all bad for Lamar on Sunday. That Lamar just pinpointed that ball on Snead. Uh, it was a very well drawn up concept by the Ravens on that corner post, and yeah, Boykin got his first touchdown on the season. And had a really good blocking game as well. So I agree 100%. It is frustrating that the Ravens didn't get the ball more to Brown and Andrews, but some other guys did step up. And maybe maybe that was the game plan for today. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is that like I, I can see other weeks being upset uh, a little bit more at Greg Roman and being like, okay, well, you know, what's our identity? Like, who are we going to build this offense around? We've been talking about that for a while, but things were kind of good because we were winning most of the games. So maybe it's not the right time to bring that stuff up. But honestly, with, with this game, for me, I, I put it primarily on uh, the mistakes that were just made. I mean, Lamar had four turnovers. I mean, one of them was a pick six. I, that was absolutely huge. Like, you take those away, Pittsburgh, you take away 14 points. Right, that Ravens win 24-14, right? I mean, I, I just, I don't know what more to say. It's like, if you want to point fingers, not that you should, because I don't think it's a healthy thing to do, but if you do want to, then point it at the turnovers. Of like, those are mistakes. Like, if you clean those up, you're winning the game right there. Sure, I mean, not all the play calls were great, but like, overall, I think there was a lot of good to come out of this game of things that we were looking for over the previous few weeks of like, where's the run game? Well, the run game showed up in a huge f- way. Right? <laughs> like, it was it was the best we've seen all season. Against the number one run D. No one can stop us. Against the no number one run D. No one can stop us. Exactly. It's like, these, like, I, like I, going into this game, if you would have said, hey, the Ravens are going to put up almost 300 yards of rushing offense against the number one rated defense. No, you would not have expected that whatsoever you thought it would have been a bloodbath right like <laughs> yeah. you would have thought there's no way there's no way in hell that they they would have won right like yeah and, and, and any there's no way you can look at the stats if you if you took out that one line of the uh you know turnovers be like yeah no way they won <laughs> like no way yeah yeah <laughs> total domination yeah you look you look at all that total domination you look like oh look we got boykin we got sneed we got duvernay all these people involved even crochet had a couple snaps not that he had any catches but he had some steps it was like all these things like we've been looking for okay what's our offense what are we going to do all positives except for the turnovers almost 500 yards in total offense it actually reminds me a ton of uh that tennessee game right like if uh, if we're being honest, I forget exactly what it was, but it, it was another one of those like we were saying after the, the game, like if you look at the stat sheet, one, there's a clear winner. But then you look at that little like turnover number and you're like, ooh, that's uh, what broke it. Yeah. 
to that point, I think if you want to look at it as like analogous to the Tennessee game, this was a game that the Ravens were in much more like because they were they were never in that game in tennis against Tennessee after the first quarter, but you had the Ravens in position even with all those mistakes that we're talking about where they were able to get the ball into the end zone on the final play with the ball in the hands of a receiver who could have caught that and that could have been the game-winning play. That's not how it worked out, but I think you have to look at that as an improvement, a game where the offense struggled, but they didn't never really let the game get out of hand or fully away from them. Yeah, if we're looking at silver linings, yes. It's like the Ravens, uh, they had a deficit. Lamar threw the pick six on the first drive of the game, right? So they were down 7 nothing, and everyone's like, ah, oh, the Ravens can't play from behind. Well, they did. They followed it up with the score to tie the game. <laughs> actually took yeah. the lead, right? So if we're talking silver linings, like, yes, like the, you know, they took a step forward there. But yeah, man, just at the end of the day, like you take those turnovers away, you cut down on those mistakes. It's like the Ravens clearly run away with this game. And for me, that's that's kind of the biggest point here. And, uh, you know, it makes it all the more surprising, too, again, because, like, compared to last year, you know, Lamar is is definitely not playing as well. You, I think the interception numbers are a little bit up uh, from last year. You know, I don't think it ever got to a point where, we're like, oh, we're really concerned about Lamar's turnovers that he's causing. But this game, we're like, okay, this is, this is a little too much. You know, it was too much for us to overcome this game. So I, I think there was just one real bad play there. So of the four turnovers, uh, the the first one, the pick six, that was bad, right? That was just a bad throw. Yeah. Uh, just bad, bad, bad. The fumble when you know he's like about to throw the ball, like it's not great, but that's like what you get from a talented defense. Like I don't I don't hate that as much. I kind of tip my hat. The interception to Alex Highsmith that burned. Remember Alex Highsmith? Remember how I was like, oh, that guy's like a raven through and through. And then the Steelers got him, and I said, I hope he like goes to hell. Yeah, he didn't go to hell. He hurt us. Uh, so that was the the definition of a feels bad man. And then the the fumble when he was you know trying to like extend for the first down and like it wouldn't have worked out anyways. Whatever. Like it was a turnover on down. Oh yeah, turnover yeah. by fumble. Yeah. Like at that point, that it, one. Didn't it, it, yeah, it's like a that's like that that's a statistical turnover, but not like a real turnover. Uh, yeah. I think we can complain all day about the fact that a they went empty and b clearly i think after rewatching that clearly was supposed to be a pass play and lamar was just like i got this and i usually respect him thinking he's got this and that's fine like i don't absolutely hate it it's a bummer that it didn't work out i don't think it was a great idea because it seems like he had people open if he like took a second to look and it was it was clearly not designed for him to run um he just thought the way they lined up like he had a chance uh, i think that's just bad you know, bad decision. So I don't, I don't absolutely like loathe it. Uh, these are all great. Oh, that I like, all right, you loathe it. Let's, let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I'll admit, I don't, I don't know if, if that was supposed to be a pass play or, you know, if Lamar had the option to run or if Lamar just went rogue and just said, I'm going to run it. F it. I feel like it had to been a pass play. It had to be a pass yeah. play. <laughs> my initial, my initial reaction on that. Well, first off, like they tried that literally in the same set of downs, earlier and it went for a couple yards at best if I'm remembering correctly so I it didn't seem like it was very smart to run that play again and that play is going to have a higher success against bad defenses anyway the biggest problem I had with that play was it to me it just showed again I don't know if it was Lamar if it was the coaching staff a lack of faith in your receivers which I don't think is a good look and can cause problems for the team going forward and may have caused problems that may have been part of, you know, Hollywood Browns. Hollywood was open that play. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I can understand the thinking of Lamar. If he did that, you know, he's a, he's a young guy. He still has to, has to learn that he doesn't have to do everything, but if it was Lamar's decision, I don't think it was intentional. I think he ha- does have trust in his guys, but Actions speak louder than words, I think, and him just calling his own number, if that's what he did, or the coaching staff calling Lamar's number, did not show a lot of faith in in the receivers. And like, even if you throw, if you do a pass play there, and it's a tip ball and an interception, I still would have been happier with that because then you're at least giving those guys a chance to make a play, and you at least know what knew what happened there and what you had in that situation. 
I think everything you said there was right, Peter. It just kind of goes down to that whole like Hollywood tweet where he's like, what's the point of having soldiers when you never use them? Never. And uh, I, I can see why Brown's getting frustrated, given the fact that he actually, I don't know if you guys saw this, he has the ninth most air yards in, in the NFL, which is kind of like remarkable, given how few times he's been targeted. But it just hasn't been like clicking. He hasn't been able to haul it in. And uh, at least it sounds like Harbaugh is okay. He talked to him. That's why the two we got deleted. He praised him for playing hard, and he's not selfish. And like the way he acts in the locker room is all like, he's not selfish. He just thinks he's getting frustrated. That, that was kind of nice to see that like he's not in the at least as Harbs is portraying it. He's not in the doghouse from that. I think he understands the frustration. I think this team can work it out. I have a lot of trust and faith in in the coaching staff and also the players. I think they will figure it out. This team has shown that they're not selfish. And I, I, I'd i be curious to see if when things start breaking down, if, if selfishness amps up because people think they, they can be the solution. I, I just want to throw that out there. I think it's interesting to watch this development. I'm going to keep an eye on it because will the squeaky wheel get the grease next game? And like, you know, Hollywood's going to have a huge game or what are we going to see? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that just shows the... You know the the players have a high expectation of you know of of what they want to do and what they want to accomplish and yeah I mean he's frustrated uh, we're all frustrated uh, you know not many people are happy after a loss <laughs> players <laughs> players and fans included uh, coaches included as well my, my initial reaction for that I know is just I, I don't I don't love that a little bit of a little bit of drama a little bit of uh from Hollywood if he wasn't related to Antonio Brown I think we would be not as worried about it. Let's let's put that out there. If he that's, was not related, that's fair. That's, that's <laughs> I don't think fair. we'd be, be like okay. You know, I mean, uh, my boy Money Marlowe, You know, he he was salty after that game, right? You know, he called us a bunch of chokers and all that stuff. And you know, everyone seems to be fine with with Marlo now. Like, we get it. Like when they lose. Well, wait, wait, wait. Are they? <laughs> we don't know the details yet. <laughs> I, I think they are. Yeah. I'll give I'll give Marlon the benefit of the doubt that that he it was doing everything he could. Oh, oh, oh about COVID, we're not there yet, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping ahead. All right, no, let's talk was, about the running back. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's let's talk about the running backs. <laughs> yeah, the running backs. Like we said, there were negatives and positives. Man, I didn't think I was going to be venting so much in this episode. I don't know what what's hit me, but I came in with the the, the tensions of venting and maybe it's, it's You did. Spreading. You did. You 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 egged me on and luckily Chris is here to to reel us back both into to somewhat of sanity. But yeah, we talked about in the bye week something that needed to happen with this offense was we needed to to find a way to get the running backs on track. Last year Mark Ingram had a pro bowl season. He's been okay this year, but I, it it seems that he's still having some residual effects from the injury, and now he's injured again, so he was out of the game on Sunday, and we got to see the duo of of J.K. and Gus go out there, and 16 carries for Gus Edwards, 15 for Dobbins. Dobbins got his first 100-yard game of his career and a 7.5 yards per carry average. Gus also had a great game, 5.4 yards per carry with a touchdown. I mean, 200 yards exactly rushing combined for these guys we couldn't have asked for more from from these two coming into this game could we have no it was it was awesome I mean just it's it seemed like almost every play even in the beginning I mean Gus would get four or five yards a carry eventually kind of wore them down and then had a couple of bigger runs I think in the third and fourth quarter and then when Dabbins would come on would be almost even more electric it's it's so it's so weird just like talking about these guys and we're trying to figure out who the starter is but it's just like they're so good in different ways it's like Gus is like always good for four or five yards and then we'll break off a really big one at the end and just like is super reliable but then when Dobbins gets the ball he's like so electric and just can pick up all this yak and has incredible balance and just ability to be able to like shift through tackles and stuff like that but yeah it was like this game was kind of like where it all came together and I think if that's one positive takeaway that they need to take away from this game is is the ability of the O-line to be able to block for those guys and the running backs to be able to perform the way they did. If they can build on that moving forward, then I think that's going to be huge. I mean, we might see even better running than we did from last year. So there's a couple interesting things about the offense. Let's like get this out of the way. We lost Ryan Stanley for the year in a really heartbreaking ankle injury right after he got paid. And that was so sad. The second he went down, he started slapping the ground. I was like, oh, he's done. And then they played the replay and I was like, 
done. Yeah, definitely done. And that was it, it. It hurt to watch that, and it was it was really nice that the Steelers came over. And lots of respect. I like I like the new Steelers a lot better than the old Steelers. I don't know about you guys. Like I have a, a, a yeah. overall respect. Like they came you know over to um and like I saw Watt even messaged him on uh on Twitter and saying like I feel for you man. I hope you recover fast, etc. That sucked. So then we had Brown move to left tackle, and then Fluker come in as right tackle. That's going to be the lineup for the rest of the season, barring injury. Uh, and we really can't afford another because then it's like holding season, and then uh, it's that's just gross. Um, <laughs> I I was gonna ask like, do you guys think the trade deadline's tomorrow? Like, do we make a, some kind of desperation trade at this point? Just because that one we're one injury away from this line just breaking, in my opinion. I don't know if we can withstand another injury. Um, I would be surprised. I'll say just because I think that I don't think DeCosta's one to make rapid fire trades like that. Like I think that the trade for Yannick and we'll get to talking about Yannick's first game as a Raven. When we talk about the defense, like I'm pretty sure I saw that described like that was weeks in the making. And I also just don't even know like who's out there to trade for really. It sucks when your best offensive lineman goes down and Stanley is definitely the best offensive lineman now that Yonda's retired. But you know, we'll, we'll see what they, what they've got. Fluker is a, a veteran in this league. He's been around. Brown has a pro ball under his belt, and you know he's played some left tackle before, so he'll have to do it again. And you got a litany of young guys with McCary and Powers and and Bredesen. You got you think at least one of those guys has to step up. So I do agree, though. If if either of the tackles goes down, I don't know what happens. You've got backup interior linemen you can throw in there, but tackles. We got no one behind them, to my knowledge. I mean, I think you're going to have to have a tight end stay behind or running back stay behind all the time. It just limits your options down the field. I think it's one of the big reasons maybe they're not going down the field. I'm just like postulating is that they're worried that the pass pro is not up to snuff. Not really seeing that. I mean, definitely, you know, Lamar got some pressures, but you can generate space and time by moving them out of the pocket. Like, again, like if you lean on their strengths, I think we can solve this problem and it won't be too bad. But I mean, they're definitely getting challenged. You can't lose an all pro and and Stanley and not say, oh, like, that hurts. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's seriously going to make a problem. But to go back to the run game, what didn't seem to digress at all was our run blocking. And we were still popping huge holes for Dobbins and Edwards to get in a rhythm and just honestly humiliate the number one rush defense. I mean, I think we aren't, uh, you know, in Pittsburgh right now, but I bet you they're talking about the fact that despite winning, we had to get they kind of got handed it on a platter with all the uh, turnovers. They got dominated um, in a lot of different aspects of the game. They're probably saying, you know, we're seven to zero. We probably like, you know, like we're saying, like they're not quite that good, right? Like they're not, uh, they're not perfect. So definitely a lot that we can learn and build from. Uh, I was super uh, keen to see those option pitch outs that we were running. I mm-hmm. thought that was a really nice design. It was yep. working really, really well. I think. What was it? Eight straight, um, eight straight run plays to run down the field on that one uh, last drive that that sputtered out. I mean, it was kind of hilarious. They were just like, "Well, this is working, and we're getting good chunks. Like, let's just keep doing it." Yeah, that was great. I mean, I feel like one of the things I've looked at for um, for Dobbins, and I think we commented this in the first couple of weeks, whereas like he was so electric, but just because his running style is so different from how Ingram and, and Gus run, uh, I think it puts a little bit more pressure on the lineman to be able to block effectively because they don't know whether he was going to go inside or out. But the great thing about the the tosses was like very clearly you're already trying to get him in space. You're throwing it outside the boundaries. So you only have to get guys over there to be able to block for him in space. And so, yeah, I think that was a great play call. It's like you're, you're putting it in his hands. You're expecting him to be able to use his speed and use his balance and his, his ability to be able to break tackles and, and make people miss. And, yeah, it was I think it was like two or three plays in a row they would run that toss and pick up at least eight yards to carry. Oh, this should be in our playbook. Like, why? How did it take seven weeks for this thing to get in here? Come on. I think that also the interesting takeaway is I don't want to, like, I don't know. I'll just say it. Look, Ingram wasn't there. And we did just fine. And I'm not saying it was a problem. I'm just saying we were, we were saying is is the problem. One of the problems maybe with the running game is that they're all only getting eight touches a game, and none of them can quite get going. Well, that changed when there was only two in the equation, except for that stupid high leverage play that they run a read option with Justice Hill. I'm sorry, you're not J.K. Dobbins. Like what the hell? Like <laughs> I was so mad about that. I was like, 
why don't you have your best playmakers in during the most like critical downs? Unless they were both like hemming and hauling out of air or like tweaked up. I do not understand for a millisecond why Justice Hill was in there. Like no disrespect to the guy. Just like, come on. This is not the play for that. <sighs> yeah, that was a little odd as well. Get off the field, Justice Hill. <laughs> it's J.K. Dobbins show, man. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, he was really good. And I posted a bunch of videos of, of, you know, analyzing his film and the things he was doing well. Still needs to work a little bit on his hands. He's uh, he's having a, a couple issues with his hands, but he'll get there. I think that's a, that's something that he can solve. I was happy to see that Dobbins was doing what I thought he could do all year. And like once he was given an opportunity, like everything was happening. It was kind of cool. Felt, felt a little validated. I won't lie. <laughs> <laughs> Been beating this drum for how many weeks? <laughs> Is this the part of the show where we remind listeners that uh, Hollywood Brown and Dobbins are on your fantasy team? I, I only own one league. I, I, oh, well, Dobbins is everywhere. I have Dobbins everywhere because I'm a believer in Dobbins. I actually only got Hollywood once because, um, you know, it, it was just hard to get at the value, you know. Yeah. Anyways, you know, fantasy is one thing, guys. I, I honestly like, I just like watching these players play and want to see our team succeed. And I think Dobbins is a... Like, I mean, you draft him in the second round for a reason. Some people think he's the best back in the class. I'm thinking after some of the initial things we're seeing, he's definitely having the most success on the ground out of the class. Maybe bar uh, uh, James Robinson. He's having a really good year, too. But he's getting, he's just getting tons of volume. Anyways, I think it was really promising to see that these two could get it done in the absence of Ingram. I'm hoping that Ingram gets healthy. Um, I'm not trying to get rid of the veteran leader in our backfield. I just... it It's hard not to bring that up as like okay when there's only two of them and they got on a roll they had the best running game of the season against the best rushing defense (laughs) well with that i think we've talked quite extensively about the offensive performance that the ravens put up against the steelers on sunday but to move on to the defensive side of the football which i think to start off with it's it's an interesting because i think once again like against philadelphia it was a tale of two halves where going into halftime the well, the, the Ravens' defense hadn't given up any points to Pittsburgh because it was only uh, the only points for them was the interception return off Jackson. But 21 points were given up in the second half. Uh, there are, again, good things and bad things from the defense. What are you guys' initial takeaway of the defensive performance on Sunday? Overall, I mean, fairly good. I mean, like I said, I mean, I think the offense kind of put them in a few bad situations for the first half. I mean, they did a really good job of, of basically putting, uh, completely stalling the Steelers' offense. They didn't really have that much success in the game overall. I mean, they had a, a few runs here or there. Oh, the run was totally stuffed. Yeah, totally I mean, that, stuffed. Yeah, nothing that I'd be too concerned about. A little bit in the third quarter, I think they had the passing game open up a little bit. Some passes to Juju and a couple to Claypool and uh, one or two to like Ebron, I think. But um, overall, like. I, I thought it was pretty good. I, I think the only negative that you could take away from the defense uh, right now is I think they had there were a few communication issues that they need to iron out, and I think it was just some new players. It's it, it's kind of going to be like a constant. Hopefully, it just like you know tails off a little bit and goes down with more experience and more play time. All these guys kind of have it together. There were a few penalties that were also just like again like kind of ticky tacky, and I know a lot of people are upset at that too. I, I am a little bit as well, but. One, I think, was on Peters. There was one on, uh, it was either Dorsey or Bonds, I think, later in the game. That was also kind of a backbreaker. And then, uh, oh, and then I guess the last one, the penalty plus ejection from Judon, that was actually kind of huge. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) Your your, uh, franchise player getting uh, kicked out of the game for, you know, giving a little uh, little swipe on the uh, officiator. Unintentionally, I, I mean, again, we, we talked about this, you know, during the game. Obviously, you just don't want Judon to get in a position where that even happens. I don't think anyone here would. I don't even think the ref honestly thinks that you know Judon was trying to attack him. Like, yeah. come on now, like that doesn't. It's not that uh, Wims guy, whatever the hell his name is. It was just sucker punching. Like, I mean, yeah, <laughs> like, oh man, yeah. like that. I mean, this was a completely Gosh. different kind of scenario. Um, also, talking about that, <laughs> who who punches a helmet? Like. <laughs> I love how the guy just stood there, too. He just took it. He was like, I have a helmet. I don't know if you heard. It's going to do way more damage to the, to the punchy, to the, you know, to the one punching than the guy And his hands are everything. Punch. He's a receiver. What an idiot. Oh, man. 
Yeah. Anyways, not a Ravens player. Totally off topic. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Roethlisberger said it himself. This is what happened in that game. They finally figured out that <laughs> they, they looked at the injury report and they were like, oh, it looks like their secondary is really like empty. Maybe if we have to make them bring in their fourth cornerback, like things will open up for us. And I'm not saying that Bonds had a horrible game. I think he had a bad game, but he also is a practice squatter, right? It's not great. But I think that was the key. They got us into this quarter package. We weren't able to blitz as much. They kind of recognized like, oh, their secondary, although it's very good, if we just overload them with our star wide receivers, we might be able to find some holes, particularly given the fact that they're going to have to bring out some less experienced guys. And that's where I think it started to really click. Yeah, he said in his post-game presser, he's like, oh, yeah, we kind of forced our personnel a little bit by changing our attack. And that's when we started seeing a success, you know, all without saying, like, there's this uh, <laughs> practice squad player they brought up <laughs> because Averitt's hurt and Tavon Young's done for the year. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, like that's that's where we're at, guys. Like one of my friends was like, oh, we need to bring up Averitt. And I'm like, he's he's hurt. <laughs> we, we can't. <laughs> yeah, what do you do? Like, <laughs> Yeah, like that's uh, that, that's exactly why Bond was in the game. I mean, it makes sense, right? But you know, on the other side of like, for what the results that we got, like, I, I still say that even if they had to play their quarter package, they did fairly well, right? It, it wasn't like the Steelers were just going up and down with their four wide sets, right? That I mean, totally. it, was, it was only a few drives and only a few uh, plays that they were able to do that, and you know, they were able to tighten up on a lot of the other plays. So overall, I, you know, I, I still think it's a win. For, for where we're at, especially given, you know, the, the lack of depth going in. And we didn't even know Jimmy Smith was going to play, right? We weren't able to have, like, three corners. Yeah. <laughs> like, and now, I mean, man. let's like, talk about it. Marlon Humphrey got diagnosed with COVID on Monday morning. Um, and he, he was playing all 50-some snaps. Um, so I'm hoping that room's okay and they're not, like, uh, the whole offensive line of Oakland, that whole situation. Oh, my gosh. Like... <laughs> Like, like this, th- that could be detrimental. I mean, we might as well just like take the L from, uh, you know, P River right, right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I mean, we'll get to that with, uh, with, with Pete in the next episode. I, I think we'll get, we'll get to, to Philip Rivers. I'm not super high on Philip Rivers <laughs> and think that the Ravens might be able to just throw a group of fans together and, and beat Philip <laughs> Rivers at this point. But <laughs> We'll, we'll see Pete, who's I'm sure watched more Philip Rivers than I have this year. Um, he might think differently. But yeah, Chris brings up a great point here, though. If you look at, yes, the Ravens give up, give up a couple touchdowns, but they really kept the Steelers' star players in check. Ben did not clip eclipse 200 yards passing and only averaged 5.7 yards per attempt. James Conner, 3.1 yards per carry. Only Juju Smith-Schuster topped 50 yards receiving, and he only had 67. I mean... The defense did probably as best as, as we could expect them to do against Pittsburgh. You know, this offense is definitely in the top third of the league. Their strength is these spread wide receiver sets, which, like Alec just mentioned, feeds right into the Ravens' current weakness right now, which is a thin secondary. The defense won the time of possession battle. If the Ravens were able to force a couple turnovers like Pittsburgh was able to to the Ravens, the game might have gone differently. The defense really put in a performance that that could have won the game. And one thing I do think that the Ravens do need to shore up with this defense is interesting. I, I was tipped off to this today. I hadn't realized this, but apparently the Ravens' red zone defense this year has been really bad compared to the rest of the league. They're currently... If you're just looking at percentage of of touchdowns scored per per trip for the opposing defense or offense, the Ravens are allowing a touchdown on 81 percent of red zone possessions, which is 31st in the league. Now, this stat that I'm looking at right here isn't showing you know the total number of possessions. So it's not showing that ratio, um, which I, I would think that the Ravens are allowing less red zone possessions than some of these teams that they're grouped here with, such as Atlanta and and Tennessee, but yeah, there's definitely things for the Ravens to work on here, but I don't think we need to get too carried away with what went wrong with the with this defense. They're doing a lot more good than they're doing bad, especially when you consider the injuries and the youth at the linebacker position. Yeah, that was one of the issues I saw is, you know, that one 
uh, wide open play to Ebron. That was just a miscommunication between Fort and Queen. Fort backed off his zone. Queen didn't pick up. Kind of goes back to those issues we said that we've been seeing. But try to cut the rookie some slack. Uh, <laughs> you know, overall, I think Peter Yeah had pretty good context to the fact that given the fact of where we're at and the weapons they have, we did a pretty good job. I don't even want to talk about the officials in this game. Like, I know a lot of fans are upset about it. I wasn't, like, thrilled about some of the calls they made. I know we got lucky a couple times, too, right? So I, I try to remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think as lucky. I think it was unfair. I will say that. But the the Ravens, you hate when refs matter, right? We got to play these games in such a way where the refs don't matter. That's always the goal of any team. Uh, obviously, when it gets close, they can start playing a part. Can't deny it. But that definitely hurt. Uh, some PIs got called that were kind of questionable, but it happens. <laughs> that's a, that's the beauty of throwing deep. Maybe the Ravens should try it. It's like every once in a while, even when it doesn't work out, you get a nice foul out of it. Even if it's not like the most warranted thing in the world. Just a patented Tory Smith method. <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, in defense to Lamar, he was giving Hollywood that role for a couple games. Hey, let's get back to it. I mean, might have they to exist. They're there. They they suit up. <laughs> Might as well use them. Oh, man. I guess before we finish our talk on the defense and wrap this up, we do have to at least acknowledge Yannick Ngakwe's first game as a Raven. I'll admit, I have not had a chance to rewatch the film today before we recorded. My, initially watching the game, I did see there was, there was one play where it, it looked like he had a half sack with, I'm pretty sure it was Jalen Ferguson's sack on Roethlisberger. Doesn't look like he got that on the stat sheet. Only one tackle on the official stat sheet. And I'll admit, I didn't really see him terribly much while watching the game, but maybe I missed it. I don't know. What, what Did you guys see much from, from Yannick in his first time suiting up? I noticed him. I think he got some decent pressures a couple times where, you know, he looked good. Uh, but like you said, I, I honestly, I wrote this note. I think with Judon getting injected early, that changed everything from their blitz packaging and, and attack. Um, so I don't know if it's super fair because that's a unit that does depend on each other and, and the cohesion uh, to get mad at anyone's uh, inability to get after the quarterback. But he, he, I mean, he definitely looked, he looked like an upgrade. He looked, he looked feisty out there, you know? He's a little guy. He's not that big. I'll, I'll say that kind of smaller than I thought he'd be. I do think it's worth pointing out that while talking about the fact that, you know, Judon was out, we did see uh, increased play from Ferguson. And like you said, he had that half sack with Yannick. And also he set the edge beautifully a couple times. And I was just like, yes, like love seeing that kind of play. It's super disciplined. And uh, did you see that uh, Calais Campbell got mad at himself for he deflected it with one arm and then like try to catch it like with the same arm. (laughs) And he was mad, and like that's the only arm he could have caught it with because the ball was going that direction, right? Like his, his other arm, despite how long it is, could not possibly reach around. And he was mad that he like deflected it with one arm and couldn't catch it with the up like the same arm. He was like kicking himself. And I'm like, dude, you broke up the play. You should be happy, but like because he's not a freak of nature who can like you know shoot webs like Spider Man, but like catch stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he got mad. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I remember oh, that man. play. That was that was, that was funny. Yeah, I don't blame the big guy for that one. No. You love his competitiveness. Oh, yeah, he's great. I hope that he finds a founding youth in uh, the Ravens scheme. We're able to like manage his snaps, whatever, because I just want him around for a while. He's so much fun. He's a great leader, and I love the way he talks in the post game. And, yeah, he, he one of my favorite additions ever for the Ravens. He's just in line with uh, with free agent signings like Anquan Bolden, Steve Smith, Eric Weddle. It's just like... You guys were Ravens this whole time. You just, we just weren't here yet. Exactly. All right. Well, as you guys know, when the rare occasion when the Ravens do lose while we have been doing this podcast, we do want to put a little bit of an upbeat, you know, look towards the future, fight another day, spin at the end of it, and highlight a couple players who had good performances in spite of the loss and... I guess I'll go first. Alec brought him up just now. I do think that Jalen Ferguson had uh, one of his better games as a Raven yesterday. He was 
constantly in the backfield, pressuring Ben. Did get a sack and two tackles for losses, plus two quarterback hits. I think bonus for Ferguson, like we were discussing before the the game started that uh, Jihad Ward got the inactive over Ferguson, and we were kind of like wondering if maybe Ward should have been the guy in there instead, but but Ferguson proved that uh, the Ravens activated him for a reason. They had a very solid game in defense. Yeah, it's a good one. I'm going to go with Jimmy Smith. I think it was announced before the game, said that the Steelers uh, definitely respect Smith and uh, they've, they've played against him a really, really long time. It's amazing now that I think he's been in, with the Ravens for 10 seasons. Definitely would not have expected that if you had asked me 10 years ago. But I, I thought he had a pretty solid game. It's it's always good to to see him just take advantage of the snaps that he gets. Even though he's the third or fourth corner now, he's still like he's still a number one corner in my book and I think he was a very underrated re-signing for the Ravens this year. Chris that was a great mentioning of Jimmy Smith Uh, we shared an article earlier in the week saying that Jimmy's uh, 12th in PFF's grading so far this year and uh, I made a note in here that similar to you said uh, the Steelers respect him there's a reason right he really performed well in this game and there was a couple times where I was like yeah you don't why are you even challenging Jimmy like he's going to break up that play so he had a great game. I feel you guys are egging me on to bring up my boy, JK, but we talked about him plenty. So I'm not going to give him my moral <laughs> victory. He, he got plenty of praise. I want to talk about the other guy who's gotten the founding youth this year, Pernell McPhee. Also set the edge well this game. I thought he played really nice. And I uh, want to acknowledge him. I think the defensive line, despite people being worried about it, it's the best. Like That front seven is the best that we've seen in how long. Like, we've got pro bowlers, all pros. We got so much star power there. And I think as the season progresses and they get more time working together, and then you have these younger guys, they're going to be naughty. They're going to be nasty. And uh, Matabuke, I like that heavy package. You know, when they were trying to run the ball against us, their last drive of the fourth quarter, they tried to run against us. No, sir. They brought Matabuke in. That's all. Like, you saw all the weight. Wolf and mm-hmm. uh, Williams come in. Yeah. And they, like, just shut it down. I, I think. Uh, just huge props to the run defense. I mean, they were getting three yards of carry, and the, there was an 18-yard run in there, so like basically two. I, I mean, they got completely shut down, and uh, that was that was great. With that, we're going to wrap up Ravens recap. We've got Pete on the call, ready to talk about the Indianapolis Colts. We're super excited about that. That episode will be hitting your podcast player later in the week. Thanks so much for subscribing. If you haven't yet, you can find us in your podcast app. Follow us on Twitter. I can't stress it enough. We've been posting a ton of stuff there. And uh, throughout the week, you're just getting ribs of content from uh, the whole crew. And we'll see you later with our prediction episode. We're going to hopefully, uh, you know, COVID willing, be able to play it and get another win. Get back on track. <laughs>